0: Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro recharge kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. August 16th,
1: 1980. Phillies closer Tug McGraw, enjoying a tremendous pitching stretch since leaving the disabled list a month ago, sits in the upper deck of Shea Stadium before the Phillies game against the Mets. He brought a transistor radio to accompany him on his journey to escape a tense Phillies clubhouse. Playing on the station were hits by Elvis Presley. It was the three year anniversary of the Kings sudden death and Tug was a huge Elvis fan. McGraw stared out at the massive concrete buildings in Queens, New York. Looking down, Tug saw the green grass of Shea Stadium where he experienced some of the best memories of his life. He won the World Series with the Miracle Mets of 1969 here. He coined the phrase, you gotta believe, and turned it into a team rallying cry in 1973. Now in his sixth season with the Phillies, A team that didn't fully embrace his outgoing personality and antics at first, Tug wondered if he would ever reach the success he had with the Phillies' main rivals. He thought back to nearly a week ago when the Phillies were swept out of Pittsburgh and manager Dallas Green lost his top on a closed locker room. The Phillies were six games out of first place, humbled first by the standings and now by their manager. He remembered the players' only meeting the next day, when the team arrived in Chicago to play the Cubs. Some of the details are fuzzy, but the message of it was clear. We need to win, and we need to do it for us. Not for Dallas, for us. I think more than anything,
2: knowing them the way that I did. Phillies broadcaster, Chris Wheeler. I think it was more that, bleep it, we'll show him who's boss, we'll show him. And in, in, in a way, that was kind of reverse psychology on Dallas's part, that that was fine with him. If they wanted to hate him and try to try to win to show him, hey, that's, that's fine with D. That was fine with Dallas. But I think a lot of them really at, from that point on just decided, we'll show him how good we are. We're going to win.
1: Tug remembered the flight to New York after taking the first two against the Lonely Cubs and losing the third on a walk-off. The team felt different, more determined. Even first baseman Pete Rose thought the same, and he too had experience on championship ball clubs. If the Phillies had any chance of winning the National League East, the run had to start now. It had to start by burying the New York Mets, who were hanging around in the standings just below the Phillies. Tug grabbed his radio, Elvis still echoing off the empty plastic seats and walked down the concourse steps. It was go time for him. It was go time for the Phillies. Winning had to start today. He didn't know it yet, but that was the beginning of a run that would make history in Philadelphia. Welcome back to Phillies Throwbacks presented by Toyota. This is episode three of our five-part series on the 1980 Phillies. I'm your host, Scott Palmer. In the first two episodes of this season, we learned how the Phillies of the 1970s came together through homegrown talent and how in 1980, they were toward the end of their championship window. After a mid-season sweep at the hand of the Pirates and an ensuing tirade from manager Dallas Green, the Phillies' season was on life support. But the Phillies knew they couldn't give up. They had to win it all, and it had to be this year. That was clear from the beginning.
3: That spring training, Willie Carpenter, who, like I said, is one of the best owners I've ever been around. Shortstop, Larry Boa. He he got a few of us guys together and said, hey, guys, you know what, you got to do it. He didn't say you had to win a World Series. He says, you got to get over the hump, or I'm going to have to tear this team apart. And he says, I don't want to do that.
1: Larry Boa was part of the core group of homegrown talent that came up through the Phillies system in the 1970s under owner Ruly Carpenter, General Manager Paul Owens, and Farm Director Dallas Green. That group went on to win three straight NL East titles in the 1970s, but couldn't get over the hump of winning the pennant. This group had to turn it up now. Or it would lose the franchise's best chance in 98 seasons of winning its first title.
3: So it was—it wasn't an ultimatum, but he—he he, he made us aware that you know what, this could be the last hurrah if we don't do something here.
1: After falling in Pittsburgh, that message was squarely on the Phillies' minds. They got off to a good start in turning it around. After winning two of three at Wrigley. The Phillies swept the Mets in five games at Shea Stadium, ending with a doubleheader in which they took both games. The series helped bury the Mets and bring the Phillies two and a half games back from first. But that momentum didn't carry very far. Losses at home to the Padres, Giants, and Dodgers kept the Phillies in third place as September inched closer. The cherry on top was an uncharacteristically poor play in center field by Gary Maddox in a road series against the Padres. Chris Wheeler was calling that game in San Diego. It was in San
2: Diego, it was late in the day on a Sunday, and it's early September, and the sun is low. And Gary, you know, this guy's a great player, and gold glove, and he's, he didn't have his sunglasses, evidently. Here comes a fly ball late in the game, and he, he loses it in the sun, and we lose a game in San Diego.
1: General Manager Paul Owens, the Pope, was on the road trip as well. That mental blunder stuck with him as the team traveled to San Francisco.
2: So now he's seething. It's not a long ride, obviously, San Diego, San Francisco. But he was seething, from what I understand, the whole way. And he got a few of them in the hotel the night before. He ran in, and I think Dickie Knowles told me he got him. But Pope didn't want the Dicky Knowleses. He wanted the big boys. He wanted the guys that really
1: counted. The next morning at Candlestick Park, the Phillies were set to play the Giants in an afternoon Labor Day game.
2: The clubhouse was closed that morning, uh, and the media going, uh-oh, the clubhouse closed. I wonder if Dallas has gone off on them again. It wasn't. It was Paul Owens. I don't know that they knew it was Pope right away, but then they found out, and he, oh, he went after him that day. And he went after the big boys by name.
1: The Pope made the most of his chance to chew out the veterans. He mentioned specific instances in games where he thought effort and desire were missing. He pointed them out one by one. Owens was different than Dallas. His criticism more personal, more embarrassing. It may even have been more intimidating.
2: They also knew if they, they didn't be careful and they ran him at the wrong time, he might punch him right in the face too. That's the way Pope was. Dallas wasn't a physical guy like that. Dallas had this big, huge physical presence. Pope was a very slender guy. He didn't look frail, but he didn't look like a guy that you would fear physically, but they did. And they knew that about him. And they knew they didn't
0: want to mess with him. Being the typical Pope uh, <laughs> that he was, he, he was gonna, he'd confront anybody. Utility player. Dell Unser, he didn't care how big they were. He wanted he wanted he wanted to fight you. He wanted us to have that fight to take us to that next level. and Dallas's talk I think was out of his own frustration and Pope's was to kick us in the butt and we had time to finish the season and finish it right.
1: Maybe it was the Pope's speech. Maybe it was Dallas's. Maybe it was the players' recognition of the desperate situation they were in. But the Phillies began to turn it on in the month of September. They swept the Giants and went on to win 11 games by one run down the September stretch.
2: You play a lot of one-run games in September when you're in contention and they just tear your gut out because the team that wins those close games and those one-run games, especially back in that era, they're the teams that went on to win and not only did they win them, but they learned how to win close games, and they learned how to win extra inning games.
1: To win close games, you need stellar pitching, and that's exactly what the Phillies got. After returning from his injury on July 19th, Tug McGraw was electric. In 33 games, he pitched 52 innings, gave up just 30 hits, and struck out 42 while compiling a 0.52 ERA. He dominated in the ninth with 13 saves in the second half of the season. He saved his best pitching for when it mattered most.
4: Carter back in, here's Tug to the windup in the 2-2 pitch. Called third strike, he struck him out with a fastball right across the middle, he caught him looking, and Tug McGraw strikes out the side in the eighth inning.
1: Relief hurler Ron Reed controlled the back end of the bullpen with Tug.
4: We were kind of in the
5: bullpen. Until Tug got back, and then when Tug got back and all those close games, as soon as we took the lead, of course, put Tug in, and there wasn't anybody else in the world I would have put in. Tug just, he was just fantastic and just unbelievable. Any reliever has ever had a half a year like he did.
1: The Phillies also gained pitching help in a couple of ways. The first was a trade for relief pitcher Sparky Lyle on September 13th.
4: Fuck him out? Sparky Lyle gets his first strikeout. Big pitch. He really reached back for a hard slider.
1: During the stretch run, the perennial All-Star gave up just 11 hits in 14 innings with six strikeouts. He was ineligible for the playoffs, but made a huge difference in September. The second was the emergence of young stud pitchers. Rookie Bob Walk made 27 starts in his first big league season, often on only three or four days rest. He pitched 37 and two-thirds innings in September and a game in early October, never giving up more than three earned runs in a game. His entire second half was an impressive turnaround from a shaky beginning, thanks in part to pitching coach Herm Sturet, who helped Walk change his delivery. Arguably, though, the biggest addition of the season for the Phillies was September call-up Marty Bystrom. Bystrom was drafted by the Phillies out of junior college in 1976, but it wasn't easy. The Phillies saw Bystrom's talent early, but a scout close to Bystrom refused to let Dallas Green sign him until Bystrom pitched at a four-year program. He wanted Marty to make a bigger name for himself so the people around him could cash out with his
6: expensive signing. Dallas was having none of it. So Dallas fired the guy and and sent uh, Hugh Alexander down and Hugh Alexander came down to the house and ended up signing the contract that night. After three years in the minors,
1: Bystrom was invited to join the 1980 Phillies in spring training, poised
6: to make the roster. And uh, three days before camp, I, I uh, tore my hamstring down in Miami. Before spring training ended, he tore it again. It was pic- picture day, and we were going back back in the back room down the hallway, and that hallway was slick, and I had metal spikes on and slipped and tore it again. So that really messed me up. And boy, the, the look on Dallas Green's face when I told him that was just uh, such such disappointment. I didn't I didn't really start pitching again until July. If not for Larry Christensen
1: missing a start because of an injury, Bystrom may not have gotten the chance to be the Phillies' spark plug at all. He came up and made one relief appearance before starting his first game on September 10th against the Mets at Shea Stadium. It went pretty well.
4: Here's Elliot Maddox sending a fly ball center field. This ought to do it. Gary Maddox camping. He waits pitched a five-hit shutout and the Phillies have won the ball game five to nothing to remain a half game behind the Montreal Expos.
6: Never in my wildest dreams would I, would I expect to go out and throw a shutout and a complete game in my first first major league start. Got a base hit, scored a run. It was like, wow, this is easy. <laughs> After
1: a complete game, Bystrom entered the rotation and finished September 5-0 with a 1.54 ERA. The pressure of the team's ticking clock did not affect the 22-year-old. He just pitched and let the talent around him carry the rest.
6: Uh, So every game was so meaningful and important, and um, I was just riding on a high of confidence. Things were just, just really falling into place, and I just had so much confidence out there, and and especially with the defense and, and Booney behind the plate. I mean, this guy was a strategist. He knew how to set up the hitters and, and where their weaknesses were, And which I didn't. Let him hit the ball on the ground. The guys behind me make the plays. You turn around, trios, throwing this guy out and Boa, and, and they got Schmitty over on my right and Pete Rose on my left. I mean, it's like, oh, my God, how could we ever lose? Bench guys like Dell Unser, Lonnie
1: Smith, Greg Gross, and Keith Moreland contributed in key games using their extensive experience early in the season to their advantage. Unser, meanwhile, got a front row seat to watch Dallas Green's lineups and in-game decisions work to perfection in crucial games. I think his gift
0: was uh, handling a staff and knowing um, the types of hitters that are in the league and knowing the types of pitchers we got to, to go to battle against them and, and who to bring in in the, in the uh, late innings. He was uh, very affirmative in his decisions, and you weren't going to argue with him because you're going to get a stone wall. But uh, nobody really tried to take him on like that uh, that much. They, they had a lot of respect for us, uh, as a baseball acumen.
1: The new guys and the guys on the bench were thrilling assets, but it was the Hall of Fame caliber corner infielders who truly led the way down the stretch.
4: One pitch to Rose is a drive deep to right field. Off way, way back. That ball is out of here. A two-run homer for Pete Rose, and the Phillies lead it 7 to nothing. The 2-0 pitch. it a long drive, deep left field. Henderson back, out of here, home run. Mike Schmidt, 38th home run of the year. First hit of the ballgame for the Phillies. has put the Phillies on top.
7: One-
1: Mike Schmidt came out in the beginning of the 1980 season on a tear and quickly established himself as the best position player in the league with his play at the plate and at third base. That continued throughout the stretch run. He crushed 48 homers, a season record for a third baseman, while topping the National League with 342 total bases and a 642 slugging percentage. His elite defense locked up his fifth consecutive Gold Glove award while his overall game resulted in his first ever National League Most Valuable Player Award.
7: and a long drive, deep center field. Out of here! Home run! Michael Jack Schmidt has just set a personal high with his 46th home run of the year. The Phillies
1: have tied it at one. Schmidt's talent had taken the National League by storm for years. His ability didn't come out of the blue. But in 1980, with Pete Rose at his side, Schmidt turned it up to a different level.
8: Pete was a, a, a very positive guy. When I heard him tell me he thought I was the best player that he'd ever played with, it just pumped my chest up. And I couldn't wait to get the uniform on every day. I couldn't wait to get to the clubhouse and see his face. He'd be sitting there signing balls or be walking around with a cup of coffee. You know, he always got there really early. You know, he he was he was uh, made for big time big time games big time at bats. Uh, uh, he was made to play under pressure. For me, that was probably something that meant a lot. Was that uh, I learned about uh, competing under pressure from Pete, and I think uh, not only myself but the other key players on our team, Pete rubbed off on everybody.
1: Rose took the pressure off Schmidt. He didn't have to be the sole guy his teammates looked to when they needed someone to lead by example. He could relax and play his game at third.
5: He made Mike Schmidt a believer in himself. Left fielder, Greg Luzinski. Pete kind of took him underneath his wing, really worked with him mentally on the mental part of the game and to have some fun and things of that nature. But I think Pete helped Mike, not that he didn't have the ability to uh, uh, have great years and be the all-time greatest third baseman. You know, as far as I'm concerned, uh, but he, but he knew that Pete knew that ability was there, and he was constantly trying to make Mike believe in himself to bring it out the best way he could.
1: Pete made his teammates better, but he was also a force himself. He didn't have his most outstanding season in 1980, but he told his teammates he would be sure to make a difference when it mattered the most.
4: Two one pitch to Rose. Here's a hard hit ball through for a base hit are going to score. Pete Rose delivers a single up the middle, and the Phillies have busted an open here in the ninth inning. Two more runs across the plate. The Phillies lead it five
3: to one. Once we got Pete, I felt that, hey, we got a shot here. It was like we all grew up together, and Booney, me, Schmidt,y lazinski we learned how to win together, we learned how to lose together, but there was always this one little missing thing, and I think Pete was that missing ingredient.
8: He was tough, man. He he was... Uh... He was loud, he, he yelled at the other team from the dugout, he sat on the step there and watched every pitch of every at-bat and he, he could recall every pitch at the end of the game and every at-bat that everybody had and you know, he just never missed anything on the field. Every at-bat that he had was like the last at-bat of his life. Little things like that we all watched. Pete led by you know inciting the opposition, diving into bases when he didn't have to, breaking up double plays. That's the way Pete led.
1: The Phillies had put it together. By September 26th, they were back in first place in the National League East. They were set to play three games against the team that trailed them by just a half game, the Montreal Expos. The Expos were really good. I mean, you're talking about
2: Carter and Dawson, and the, and I mentioned Steve Rogers, and Cromartie and so many good players at Wallach. They were really a good team, so we couldn't shake them.
1: The Phillies could extend their lead before some seemingly gimme games against the lowly Cubs. In a dramatic pitchers duel, Dick Ruthven versus Montreal's David Palmer. The first game of the series was tied 1-1 in the ninth when Bake McBride came up to bat. Bake McBride
7: stands in. He is singled in three at bats. Palmers pitch to it. Swing and a long drive.
2: And now we have a chance to put the Expos away with the Cubs, who are bad, coming in for four, and we don't do it. I mean, Bake McBride hits that unbelievably dramatic walk-off home run on Friday night, and darn if don't lose the next two.
1: After dropping the series, the Phillies let the mighty Expos back in first. Montreal went home and swept the struggling Cardinals in three games. The Phillies hosted the last-place Cubs for four and had to win to keep pace. Game one did not go as planned. On a long, chilly autumn evening at Veterans Stadium, the Phillies couldn't shake Chicago. The game went into extras, tied at three. In the top of the 15th, the Cubs took a two-run lead.
8: Fans
2: in this town understand. They knew that we were getting near the end um, of, of this era. And they were really pumped because of the month of September. And darn if you don't get into that Monday in game and just Playing awful in that game, and the
1: fans are booing. They are booing. But the Phillies, against all odds, hung in there. In the 15th, Bake McBride knocked in a run with a ground out. With two outs, Gary Maddox tied the game with a single.
7: One, one pitch, swing
1: and a base hit, center field tie game.
7: Gary Maddox, a two-out line drive, single to center, and the Bills are still alive.
1: Manny Trio avoided a dreaded 16th inning with a walk-off single.
7: The 1-1 pitch, swing, and a ground ball face hit. Phillies win it 6-5. Maddox scores. Trio delivers with a ground single to center field. Have come back to beat the Cubs 6 5 in 15 innings. The key blows, game time, two out single by Maddox. And the game winning, two out single by Manny
1: Trio. And the Phillies could finally breathe a sigh of relief.
3: Well, not everyone did. I said, you know what? The fans that came tonight are the worst fans I've seen. Shortstop, Larry Boa. I didn't say the fans of Philadelphia, I said the fans that came tonight. And of course that was headlines the next day. And for about a week there, I started getting booed. But during that time I was getting booed, I was getting two and three hits a game. And Chris Wheeler made a comment saying, I want everybody to keep booing Bo, going down the stretch, going in the playoffs and World Series, because it seems to motivate him a little bit. I must've hit like 360 during that streak.
1: Boa had fun turning boos into fuel. But he felt that series was a turning point, not just for him, but for the team, thanks to a late-night conversation after the extra-innings victory.
3: After the game, our guys, we usually stayed around after the game and BS'd, and we hung out and talked baseball. We literally said, I remember this, we can't let bad teams hang around. we got to put our foot on the the metal there and uh, let them know that they can't come back and win this game. And we let them hang around, but we won both games. And I think from that series on, we start playing a lot more with a lot more intensity and especially against teams that we're supposed to beat.
1: The Phillies took the message to heart. They swept the remaining three games against the Cubs. It was down to three games for the National League East title. They would be in Montreal. Dear Phillies fans, Drive a true winner, the Toyota Camry. The Camry is the best-selling car in America for 18 years. Now that is a championship tradition. Plus, the Camry, with available all-wheel drive, offers a true competitive edge. Contact your local Toyota dealer or visit buyatoyota.com to get yours today. And you could drive off in victory. Toyota. Based on manufacturer estimates, CY 2002 to 2019 sales includes Camry, Celera. The Phillies got on a plane and headed to Canada, tied with the Expos for first. They were locked in. They had been through far too much this season to let what was, in essence, a three-game playoff series keep them from reaching the postseason. I think the term might be businesslike. It doesn't look like there's any mystery involved. You win
2: two out of three, you go to the playoffs. You lose, you're going home. And the disappointment continues. And then do they break this team up? And then what's going to happen? And all those things. So they knew what they had to do,
1: and they were ready to do it. Fans were pumped in both Philadelphia and Montreal. To avoid a long wait after the late-night flight to Montreal, Rudy Carpenter gave free tickets to the excited fans working customs at the airport. The team was expedited through after that. And the Phillies' confidence was palpable. Mike Schmidt had all the reasons in the world to think he'd make a difference. The Philly star had hit three consecutive homers in the Phillies' last three games against the Cubs. He grabbed lunch with former teammate and 1980 rookie broadcaster Tim McCarver before the series began in
8: Montreal. I remember saying to Tim McCarver, and this is, this is an unusual thing for me to say, very unusual, and I, Timmy, I'm going to have a good series. I just feel it. And I would really have never, ever made a statement like that, but... Coming off of what happened uh, with the series with the Cubs at home, the last couple games, I just felt it, you know, I just, I just felt it. I felt, I felt right uh, in the batter's box. I felt confident, I felt like my mechanics were good at that time. I hit the Expos pretty well. I said to Tim, I just felt it, and sure enough, it happened.
1: In the loud, cold, and unwelcoming Olympic Stadium in Montreal, Michael Jack dug in his cleats and made good on his promise to McCarver right away. He smacked a sacrifice fly that scored Pete Rose in the first inning to give the Phillies a 1-0 lead. Then in the sixth, he knocked in what would be the game-winning run with one swing of his bat. Here's
7: the 2-0 pitch. Fastball, long drive, watch that, baby. Way out of here, home run. Michael Jack Smith. Has just tied Eddie Matthews' record for all-time homers by a third baseman in the season, number 47. Phillies lead it two to nothing.
1: Dick Ruthven pitched brilliantly, and the Phillies won the game two to one. They were now one win away from a division title, with two games to do it. Another chapter for a long, unpredictable season seemed to be in reach. Leave it to Mother Nature, though, to hold off the Phillies' plans for just a bit longer.
2: This was before they put that permanent roof on, on Olympic Stadium. It was a miserable day. And we were due to play like around 1 or 1.30, and it's raining, and it's cold, and it's Montreal in late September. and But you know what? I think everybody felt that we were going to be there all day and night if we had to because they did not want it to come down to a doubleheader the next day. That team had did not like rain delays. That team just wanted to play and get out of there and all But I, I know from talking to them, they were really focused that afternoon in that clubhouse. Sure did they play cards, did they do what they did to relax Yeah, But they knew they wanted to play because they had won that big game the night before and they did not want to play a doubleheader
4: the next day.
1: Larry Christensen started that game on the mound for the Phillies. He did
4: whatever he could to keep his mind sharp during the wait. And I remember reading a novel, Robert uh, Robert Ludlum's *The Born Identity*. I, I read that whole novel because it was a, such a long rain delay. And then, then the game started, and I liked that because I, the later the later it got, I felt stronger. I think we didn't start till four or five o'clock
2: or something because it didn't end till late. And that was a, one of the damnedest games I ever seen in my
1: life. Both teams combined for seven errors on a cold, wet, back and forth game filled with weird moments. A liner Manny Trio thought he caught was ruled a trapped grounder. He fired to get the out at first and Rose relayed home for a clutch double play.
7: Nice grab, Manny Trio, holds Scott, throws out off is Scott, trying to score and he is out at home plate. Scott never got the plate.
1: In the seventh, Bake McBride narrowly avoided getting tagged in a rundown after Rose was abruptly held at third to load the bases.
4: Base hit, left field, Rose is being held, oh McBride is held up and they're going to get him in a rundown or are they, he is safe, oh I don't believe it.
1: Trailing 2-1. Luzinski delivered a two-run single to give the Phillies the lead. But Schmidt, trying to draw a throw, was caught in a rundown and tagged out. Then the Expos caught Luzinski in between second and third, and the inning ended.
4: Green light, base hit, center field. The Phillies are going to go ahead. Now they got Schmidt in a rundown, two-run score. Schmidt's in a rundown, still in a rundown. And they get Schmidt, and now they're trying to get Lazinski. They do! Unbelievable! A double play that the Phillies go ahead 3-2. and two. I don't believe it. We've got
1: two runs and two outs on one wild play. In the bottom of the seventh, a rare drop fly ball by Manny Trio and a misplay on a stolen base led to two runs for the Expos. Manny Trio right
4: there. Oh, he dropped the I don't believe it! Oh boy!
1: What is going on here today? They took the lead into the ninth. Top of the ninth. One out with a runner on first. Mike Schmidt hits a dribbler to third and appears to leg out a single. He didn't get the call.
7: Bouncing ball, taps softly, third base, parries, charges, he throws. Oh, that time he called him out. I gotta see a replay on that. McBride moves up to second base. Schmidt called out on a very, very close play. Now here it is. The throw, oh,
1: he's safe. Two outs, deafening crowd on his feet. Tying run on second, up step Bob Boone a gamer who overcame intense injury pain all season long and held his ground as Keith Moreland threatened his playing time.
7: I cried at second base, two outs, it's up to Bob Boone. Boone batting 228.
1: This was a big moment for Boone, but this was also a very different part of the season for him. After struggling early on, Bob Boone found consistency at the plate down the stretch. The hits kept on coming.
5: You know, then all of a sudden it just clicks. Like, oh, there it is. <laughs> where have you
1: been? Base
7: hit to center field. Bank McBride rounding third. He stumbles, but he's still going to score. Boone heading for second base. Tie ball game. Bob Boone delivers with a single to center. Down to the last down. Boone, a base hit. Bake McBride scores. And this game is tied at four!
1: Boone's clutch RBI single sent the game to extras, and Tug held the Expos at bay for two innings in a row. Miss! Swing and a
7: miss! He struck him out! Tug McGraw gets out of the jam. Tugger pounding that glove. Oh, what a miraculous job he's done for the Bills this year. No
4: runs, one hit. No errors.
1: Then in the 11th, it was up to Mike Schmidt. The league's MVP was criticized throughout the 1970s for not getting the big hit when it mattered most. This was a chance to change the narrative. With an out, a runner on first, and rookie catcher Don McCormick on deck, many thought Expo's manager Dick Williams would walk the Red Hot Schmidt. He didn't. And he paid the price. He threw a fastball, and Mike just crushed it.
4: The pitch to Schmidt. Long drive to left field. He buried it. He buried it. Way back. Out of here. Home run. Mike Schmidt puts the Phillies up six to four. Oh, what a drive by Schmidt. Unbelievable. He hit that thing deep to the seats in left field. And the Phillies greet Schmidt at the plate, Mike clasps his hand. he shakes hands with all of his teammates, what a wild scene in Montreal.
1: Andy Musser's classic radio call captured the euphoria of the moment. The entire Phillies bench poured out onto the track at Olympic Stadium to greet Schmidt as he ran to the dugout. As he rounded third and smacked the hand of third base coach Lee Elia, Schmidt had an extra thought in the back of his mind.
8: You you could never call me a guy that didn't get the big hit when they needed it
1: (laughs) after that.
8: (laughs) I hit a lot of big home runs in my career, but there were none bigger than those two in Montreal. Tug
1: stayed out on the mound for the bottom of the 11th. He could taste the champagne. It only took three batters.
7: Tug McGraw, an unbelievable finish to an unbelievable year for the Phillies, who have won it by a score of 6-4 to four on Mike schmitz homer.
1: The Phillies mobbed Tug at the mound and celebrated in front of a shocked crowd of Expos fans. When they rushed into the clubhouse, they were met with showers of
4: champagne and beer. That was the game that Manny Trio dropped that pop up with Ron Reed. Bake McBride was kidding about throwing a beer up in the air and dropping it on the floor. I mean, it was just wild in that locker room.
1: Harry Callis and Richie Ashburn interviewed players on a makeshift podium in the middle of the Olympic Stadium visitors' locker room. It was party time in Canada, and that party lasted into the final meaningless game of the season.
4: The next day, I remember, it was like whoever wanted to play, it was like the misfits. And Lazinski never even got dressed. He sat in the locker room and, and ordered ribs from the Barbie barn. And he never did go on the bench, I think, that Sunday day game because he just he was still celebrating. First-year broadcaster
1: and longtime Phillies catcher Tim McCarver even got in on the action. The Phillies activated Timmy in September so he could play professional baseball in his fourth consecutive decade.
2: My great friend Tim McCarver would play in that game that day and pinch hit and get a hit and have his last, last major league at bat be a double to right center field. And he stood on second base and instead of saluting the players, he doffed his cap to us up in the broadcast booth. That gave a, you know, a nice memory for us for the
1: final day of the game when we could relax and that Timmy could do that. As the Phillies filed out of Olympic Stadium and came back to the States that Sunday, they remembered the times in 1980 when it would have been easy to quit. A second wave of injuries, veterans losing their cool after benchings, Dallas and Pope's tirades. But this group stayed together and now had a date with Nolan Ryan and the mighty Houston Astros in the NLCS. They were back in the postseason. Sometimes it's not how well you play the
5: first half, but it's how well you play the second half. We stayed close, had, had an opportunity, and it was in our hands to win the thing in the last series in, in Montreal. It's a team, it's a team effort. And if uh, it credit to, to Dallas, he uh, always would say it's we, not I. And uh, that, that is true.
1: Thanks for listening to Episode 3 of Phillies Throwbacks, presented by Toyota. In the next episode, we travel to the Astrodome, where the Phillies once again were stuck in a five-game series with a World Series berth on the line. They knew it was their last chance to get there, and they had to give it all they had. The result was one of the wildest postseason series in the history of the sport. This story was written and edited by Graham Foley. Additional editing and production assistance by David Katai.